Okay. Okay. We are live, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Let us begin. Um, I felt that I had, in previous years, we've always done a Star Wars and Judaism class for May the 4th. And I was not planning on doing that this year. But then at the last moment, I was inspired. I said, how could we pass up an opportunity? So instead of sort of we've done uh, in previous years, we've gone through the main themes in the Star Wars quadrility or whatever you want to call it, not a trilogy anymore. I don't know what the trilogy times a lot is, but the Star Wars universe, we've done different themes uh, and their correlation in Judaism and a little bit of a dive into Kabbalah and Judaism and and uh, as it corresponds to the force and good versus evil, light versus darkness. This year, I've decided to just take one theme that we've discussed in previous years and just go deep into it. So today we're going to discuss the concept of the chosen one in Jediism and Judaism. So uh, uh, by the way, are you a Star Wars fan? Okay, yep. good. I Excellent. Little Grogu somewhere in the other room. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to share my screen now. And let's take a look at what we have. And if the audience behaves, we might do a round of Jediism or Judaism game show at the end of this evening. All right. It says my internet is unstable. If that is true, there's nothing I can do about it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Judaism in the mystical world, Star Wars. Okay, let us begin. And I always like to start this quote from George Lucas, really showing us what the mission statement of the whole Star Wars uh, enterprise was. And that was to take all the issues that religion represents and try to distill them down into a more modern, easy, accessible construct. I put the force into the movie in order to try to awaken a certain kind of spirituality in young people, more a belief in God than a belief in any particular religious system. I wanted to make it so that young people would begin to ask questions about the mystery, the mystery of life. And that truly was the case with one young whippersnapper who was exposed to Star Wars at a young age in uh, 1982, I believe it was. And uh, that was myself, who was introduced to Star Wars at, in a very personable way at a young age because I was in school with Mark Hamill's son. And we were actually became pretty good friends. And I used to go to their house and play all the time. and. To me, the fact that I knew Luke Skywalker's son was 
pro like larger than life it was beyond and as a young kid i really believed that star wars was real and unfortunately as i got older i never outgrew that and instead of becoming a nerd who plays dnd &D in my basement every thursday night with my friends instead i became an observant jew because i discovered that thirst for spirituality for something that is beyond for connection to a force which is beyond this world drove me to search for meaning and mystery and mysticism spirituality and that search eventually brought me to back to judaism so um so i think it's very apropos to explore on this day every year the mystical aspects of judaism and the correlation to star wars so today we're going to go into one particular topic as we mentioned and let's take a look so in the year 2000 those who were uh paying attention to the trilogy discovered the idea of a chosen one a chosen one shall come and through him will ultimate balance in the forest be restored and that that was of course very exciting and very messianic and but as the years went on that vision was a little bit confused uh not exactly as the years went on but this chosen one those of us who got to see him grow up began to wonder is he really the chosen one wait a second it seems like he's going off the path and then he's in if you go back in time to 1977 he certainly was not the chosen one right but then if you hang, hung around to 1982 he was wait a minute he actually is the chosen one then in 2019 he started to question that wait a minute is she the chosen one who is the chosen one and did the authors of this quadrilogy have any idea what the storyline was going all along <laughs> makes you kind of wonder but let's this idea of a redeemer who will come and bring balance to the universe who will restore the kingdom of god of good and evil um who will bring the world back to its chosen path appears in many many different religions and of course the root of it is from judaism we're going to talk about the Jewish roots, but you should know that, of course, Christianity took that concept and kind of ran with it and made that their whole religion, right? It's about the Messiah. Um, Islam has it as well, and they also talk about a Mahdi, um, a chosen one, or a, a Messiah, a Redeemer who will come, and Jesus is mixed up in that as well, and um, Buddhism has also a concept of a of like an avatar that will come back and again it, it appears in many different incarnations and many different religions and and cultures but uh certainly the oldest uh, is is of, is and the original is is from judaism so what is the concept of mashiach who is he what does he do let's take a look you ready let's do it all right so who is Mashiach. And the word Mashiach, it's important to note, means really just means the one who is Mashuach, the one who is anointed with oil. And it's referring to someone who uh, 
basically like a high priest could be anointed. And uh, the term really is a borrowed term. And it really just meant someone who is designated for a great purpose. The concept of Mashiach appears only in hints in the Torah, um, much more explicitly in the prophets. But ultimately, it's a concept from the oral tradition, passed down orally. And um, Maimonides, the Rambam in his Mishnah Torah, which is essentially the guide to uh, Judaism, all the laws of Judaism. So he discusses in the most detail the laws of Mashiach, how we know it's Mashiach and what is Mashiach meant to do. So let's go through some of these laws. So number one, Mashiach is descended from the house of David. He's uh, patrilineal descent from King David because one's tribal affiliation comes through the line of the father. Their Judaism comes through the line of the mother. And he occupies himself with the commandments and is busy studying and meditating in the Torah. And he encourages all of the Jewish people to return to the ways of the Torah. And he fights what's called the battles of God. We might get more into details what that means. It may be assumed that he is Mashiach. So basically someone descended from King David, and we have had great leaders and rabbis throughout history who are descended from King David, who have who know their lineage, that they're from the tribe of Jehuda, of, Yehuda, of Judah, and direct um, father to son line to King David, who is a Torah scholar, who encourages and inspires Jewish people to return to keeping the Torah. Uh, then it's it's a chance that he's the Mashiach. It's not definite. There's a chance. What does he have to do to become the Mashiach? He has to build the temple in Jerusalem and gather the dispersed of Israel and rebuild a sovereign Jewish kingdom in the land of Israel. And then he is definitely Mashiach. And then he will bring the entire world to serve God in unity. What is the goal of Mashiach? The goal of Mashiach is to unite the entire world and bring about what's called the Messianic era. If he did not succeed or was killed, it is clear that he is not the Mashiach. For all the prophets said that Mashiach is the Redeemer of Israel and their Savior, and he gathers their disperse and reinforces their commandments. So we see that Mashiach is supposed to do certain things. What is the number one reason why Jews don't believe in J.C.? So there's a few. Number one reason, the whole thing doesn't start, is he's not a descendant of King David. Why? Because according to Christianity, who's Jesus' father? It's God, as unknown. Doesn't have a father. Guy doesn't have a father, then he certainly doesn't have a tribal affiliation, because tribal affiliation comes from the father's line. So even though his father adopted him, that doesn't count as making you a blood descendant of King David. All right, number two, and this is really the clincher, even if you could find a way to say that really he is a descendant of King David, is that he didn't bring about an era of world peace. Did not rebuild the temple. The temple happened, happened to have been built at that time, but he didn't bring about a, an era of world peace. 
And that's the number one reason why anyone, whoever it is, no matter what miracles they perform, means nothing to us if they don't bring about an era of world peace where the entire world comes together in acknowledgement of one God working together to serve the creator and bring about his message on earth so it's not the Mashiach. So the Christians therefore had to come up with a concept of the second coming. You're right, he didn't do it, but he'll be back. To the point where we say, well, that doesn't matter then because we don't care who the guy is that much. We care what he does. And we care about the era that he brings. Judaism is not so concerned with who the Messiah is. We care about what the Messiah will do, and that is bring about the Messianic era. So what is the Messianic era? So the Rambam continues. In the Messianic era, there will be neither famine or war, envy or competition, for good will flow in abundance, and all the delights will, delights will be freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. The entire world will devote themselves to spirituality at that point. There will be no more war or fighting. One is not to presume that anything of the ways of the world will be set aside in the Messianic era or that there will be any innovation in the order of creation. Rather, the world can, will continue according to its norms. The sage says, say, there's no difference between the present age and the Messianic era, but delivery from subjugation to foreign powers. Now, there are those that disagree with this statement of Maimonides. He is quoting one opinion in the Talmud. There are others that say that the Messianic era will be a miraculous time period. But according to Maimonides, and he is the definitive opinion in Jewish law in this matter, there will be no change in nature. It's going to be the same world we live in today, but there will be world peace. And the entire world will be united in service of God. So others say that there will be a miraculous existence when Mashiach comes. Things will change. The laws of nature will change. But the most accepted opinion is that there are different phases to the Messianic era. And the first stage will certainly be normal. Only over time will there be a then supernatural existence, something called Tehiyasamesim, revival of the dead, and different phases called Olam Haba, the world to come which is a spirit, an existence on earth and then a spiritual existence, but that's not for now. From the plain sense of the words of the prophets, it appears that in the beginning of the Messianic era will occur the war of Gog and Magog. There will be a major war between two nations. We don't know who these nations are today. There are different theories. Some say the war of Gog and Magog took place, World War I and World War II, perhaps. Others say it's happening now. It's a spiritual war, spiritual battle. Um, and at the end of the day, though, it's not a pleasant time. All the sages of the Talmud say, we can't wait for Mashiach, but we don't want to be there during that time because it's going to be such a tumultuous time. Perhaps we're living through it right now. Um, and the Rambam concludes, he will not come to declare the pure impure or the impure pure, nor to disqualify people presumed to be of legitimate lineage or to legitimize those presumed to be of disqualified lineage. Basically, he's not coming to do all sorts of legalistic stuff, although he's also going to do that. But he's coming. His main objective is to establish peace in the world. That is what Mashiach's going to do. And as we can see a few quotes from, um, well, we quoted that already. See here are a few quotes from the prophets, specifically Isaiah. 
And this is known as the Isaiah wall. This quote appears on the outside of the United Nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war no more. And a wolf shall live with a lamb, a leopard with a kid, a calf with a lion cub, a fatling shall lie together, and a small child shall lead them. A cow, I don't know what a fatling is. A cow and a bear shall graze, and their children shall lie together, and a lion like cattle shall eat straw. So again, some say this is referring to a miraculous existence where there will no longer be predators, even animals. The Rambam Maimonides says this is a metaphor that nations will no longer devour up other nations. But either way, it's a change in human consciousness. So what are the requirements for Mashiach again? To possibly be Mashiach, he needs to be ascendant of King David on the patrilineal side. He has to be occupied with the study and practice of Torah. He needs to bring people closer to Torah. And he has to restore Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel and implement Torah law there. To definitely be Mashiach, he needs to also bring the Jewish people back to Israel from the diaspora and rebuild the temple. What does he not need to do? Perform miracles. He does not need to perform miracles to be Mashiach. It is not a job description prerequisite. He doesn't have to be miraculous. He doesn't need to revive the dead. He doesn't need to be a superhuman, demigod slash virgin born superhero. And he certainly doesn't have to die to save all of humanity. And, well, <laughs> all right. So, um, last but not least, um, Mashiach is definitely not God. That is not who Mashiach is. And Mashiach's uh, coming has nothing to do with saving humanity from sin or any of that. Those are all Christian add-ons to the concept of Mashiach. And one thing that we mentioned that Maimonides said is Mashiach has, cannot die. But there are those that point out that Maimonides doesn't actually say that. They say that, it says that Maimonides says Mashiach can't be killed. And there are some opinions that say Mashiach could be someone who is no longer alive now that will come back somehow. But um, regardless, that is essentially Mashiach 101. So why is this so exciting? Because we're living in exciting times. And, you know, Jews have always been waiting and praying for Mashiach for thousands of years. And it's really kept us going is the hope that there will be better times. And this, this vision of a time when all of humanity will come together has really kept us uh, is, is been the mission statement of the Jewish people from all of time to teach the entire world about the unity of God. And unity of God means that we're all united. It means that we're all in this together. It means that in a world of paganism where there's my God versus your God, so there's constant competition and war. But in a world of one God, so there's more than enough for all of us because we're in this together with one plan and one purpose. And we're all in this world together, not to have the same purpose, but to be part of the same unified goal for humanity. 
And that's why Judaism has never sought to convert the entire world to be Jewish, because we don't believe there's one way to serve God as long as you're serving God. And there are certain prerequisites for how to do that. But for the most part, it means utilizing your talents and your unique abilities to bring out the good in the world and to acknowledge that there is a creator who put us here with a specific purpose individual purpose as well as a universal purpose for humanity so um the world nowadays it's a crazy world war in ukraine war in all sorts of other countries that don't make it in the news that often war in israel um coronavirus inflation a lot of depression in some ways the world feels very divided but in other ways, the world has never been closer, never been closer to all of humanity coming together for a common good. Coronavirus really revealed that. The whole world is really working together to try to stop this pandemic. Never before had the whole world had the ability to work together as we do today due to technology. The world acknowledges that war is bad. For thousands of years, war was considered to be good. It was only these crazy Jews in the Middle East who were going around saying, stop the violence, stop the hate. We came up with the concept called world peace. That concept didn't exist before the prophets of Israel because that is a uniquely Jewish concept because we believe that the whole world is one. There isn't a battle between different gods and different forces. There is one unified plan and purpose for all of humanity. So in many ways, we're closer than ever before. Maimonides says that what's the purpose of Christianity and Islam? Purpose of Christianity and Islam is to bring the world closer to the concept of one God, closer to the concept of Mashiach, so that when Mashiach comes, the world will be there and be able to flip over and, and join our team, so to speak. Not having to convert to Judaism, but wanting to be part of this monotheistic mission. And uh, although Islam is a monotheistic religion, um, certainly they have not seen eye to eye with, with Judaism and uh, claim that, that the, the Jewish story is incomplete, is wrong, has been replaced. And Christianity is arguably not a monotheistic religion, certainly not a purely monotheistic religion but again, has spread many of the messages of Judaism to the world. So we hope and pray that the time will come soon when the entire world can be united in true service of the one creator. And what we say in Judaism is we don't really care who the Messiah is. We just want him to come already so that we can experience the ultimate existence that we've been waiting for. So that is my story for today um questions comments let me just stop the